All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Thunderpunk Radio. Uh, it is me, one of your hosts, Flirt Cheap, and I am here with Paul. Uh, Paul, would you like to introduce yourself just in case anyone's forgotten? Of course they haven't. Hey folks, Paul Meixner here, uh, founder and co-host of Thunderpunk Radio, and uh, yeah, that's all I really need to know. Okay, cool, cool. And we are here with a guest today. We're going to be talking about uh, health, the health industry, and our experiences within it. Um, and obviously, both me and Paul are both dingbats. We're kind of dumb. So we had to get someone in here. Um, our, our friend, Barb, uh, she runs uh, Motherhood, Motherhood Barbie. It's a Substack uh, talking about health and experiences in the health industry. Also can find her on Instagram at Motherhood Barbie. Uh, Barb, do you have any further intro for yourself you want to give? Uh, I'm just trying to get used to being called Barb. I love it. Um, uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I uh, uh, I am just a 30-something mom who works in the uh, functional medicine uh, part of, well, I've worked in functional medicine. I was going to call it the functional medicine industry, but um, functional medicine, I, I worked in this clinic uh, for a bit before I got pregnant. And so, um, and uh, I, I noticed as I sort of wandered through uh, medical clinics, um, you know, for all of my um, prenatal checkups, uh, things really started to get clearer uh, for me about what mainstream medicine looks like and how it needs to change. And so, um, yeah, I've got a lot to say that keeps me up at night, and, and that's why I'm here. I've learned a lot. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, perfect. All right. Well, we're going to hop into the episode in a little bit, but we're going to start real quick uh, <laughs> with our mandatory dog. My, my alarm system. <laughs> yeah. okay. First, we'll start with a uh, real quick, because uh, uh, we're still in crypto, despite this being a bear market. Uh, our coin of the day is Cosmos. Uh, you can find the ticker at Adam, A-T-O-M, and their goal is interconnecting all the blockchains together. Uh, Paul, you got a gun of the day for us? Yes, I don't think uh, I've done this one before. We've done a few podcasts already now, but I think now we're really rolling. So I'm going to do possibly one of the most common concealed carry handguns in on the market today. It's actually what I'm carrying today. Um, it's Smith & Wesson Shield. So there's a couple iterations of this. The, the later iteration is better because it doesn't have a false reset on the trigger. Um, with uh, the, the magazines on the market, like this one right now, um, with flush-based magazine, carries seven rounds. The additional mags I carry, which are factory, carry eight. So that's not a ton. Um, SIG recently came out with a micro-compact that carries more. But this thing is proven. It's reliable. You can find it great on the used market. Um, you can buy it new. There, I would throw an a I'm going to throw an Apex trigger in here. But for those starting out that... Uh, are requiring a concealed carry handgun. This is very comfortable to carry, reasonable to shoot. There's not too much recoil, even though it's smaller. I like having a manual safety on my firearms. This manual safety is great for taking off. It's a little bit of a pain in the butt to put on. Um, Smith & Wesson's currently moving to Tennessee. And afterward, I, I talked to them at SHOT Show when they're going to be starting a parts department. But yeah, so Smith & Wesson, yeah, the Smith & Wesson Springfield the Smith & Wesson Shield, not Springfield. Um, I like it in 9mm. It also comes in 45 and 40. I just recommend getting it in 9mm. It's a great uh, concealed carry handgun that is proven and reliable. 
All right, great, great. Sounds like fun. Uh, guns and coins, everyone's favorite topics. So, um, you know, Barb, one thing that really struck me when I was kind of reading through some of your notes about this is it's an experience that I think a lot of people end up having at some point in their lives if they haven't had it yet. Um, and, you know, it's you go to the doctor and you're expecting to get more and you end up just kind of underwhelmed or you feel like you're being misheard or they aren't really actually like really grasping what your symptoms are and they're trying to put you in a box real quick. Um, you know, could you give us a bit more of the background of what like the, the mom experience is like and what it's like when you're, you know, bringing a, someone you're responsible for to the health industry and, uh, you know, suddenly seeing it for what it is? Yeah, no, absolutely. Honestly, I think everybody knows uh, a at least a handful of people who have gone to the doctor and been like, wow, that was the worst experience of my life. Or I totally, you totally didn't hear me. Um, there's a lot of people that just don't trust mainstream medicine anymore. Um, I know so many people that are just like, oh yeah, I, I don't take pills. That's just how I do it. I don't want to take any pills. You know, a lot of people just don't, they don't trust the system um, and you can't blame them. Um, this became super apparent for me as I you know, went to the OB and started just, you know, casually growing human life inside of me and, and yes, you become responsible. Yeah, no big deal. Just like can I ask you, uh, just because uh, timeline here, we've recently had a kind of a renaissance in medicine, or at least people waking up and realizing that doctors don't know everything and that most of them are just good at memorization and answering tests. So could you uh, let us know what year, because like pre-2020 is different than post-2020. I feel oh, like more... Yeah understanding medicine and the system so like what what year about did you start to learn this by taking your or by you know visiting your OBGYN or so whatever the I, is? I I started working in functional medicine and just a quick side note functional medicine is considered alternative medicine um but it can not to be not to be confused with homeopathic right 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 in fact I find it to be a really good balance between mainstream and homeopathic because this run okay. this clinic in particular was run by an actual doctor. I mean, he went to medical school. He was a surgeon that was like, wow, a lot of this could have been prevented. Um, uh, we, we didn't have to get to this point. Um, and so, so yeah, so I was working in a functional medicine clinic, uh, 2019, I actually got pregnant. Um, and then two weeks later, um, quarantine hit. So this was so a, right in the middle of all yeah. of this. Okay. <laughs> it was a really heavy time. You know, there's a lot going on. It was really hard. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So definitely right in the throes of everything changing, you know, the, the vaccine coming out and everyone starting to have questions about what they're putting in their bodies. And um, uh, yeah, it was a pretty big time. So that, that answers your question, maybe a little bit about the timeline of everything that's going on, um, you know, but it's everything, it's, there's a rebirth that happens and every mom is different. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna try to speak for, every other woman, but I think I can speak for most women when I say that you get, when you get pregnant and you start to casually get ready to expel an actual live soul from your body that you start to see things very differently. And the responsibility you have to um, give this human being the best possible life that they, that they can have. So you go to the OB and you start asking questions and why is this happening? And you have, I, I, I just had the wildest symptoms. Like I turned the toilet seat turned blue. 
okay and you have no idea <laughs> how many people i had to go to and be like why why is this happening my ob is like well i've been doing this for 30 years and i honey i can't tell you and i was like okay so this is like one of a million times that i i go in and i'm like hey my hair is falling out it's second trimester i should have glowing beautiful thick luscious hair that progesterone's kicking in can you check my thyroid? And they're like, well, you know, you're probably just stressed out. We'll check your TSH. And I'm like, really? You're not going to check anything else? Like, you know, that it was just underwhelming in how little they uh, were willing to answer questions or how little they actually knew or were willing to talk to me. You're in and out. Almost, factors. Is, is it almost yeah. like there's this arrogance there? Like, I have the degree. I went to the thing. You don't uh, know what you're talking about? Or is it like more of like this like group mindset? It, both. I, I think it's a lot of things. I noticed how fast everything moved. It was almost like they didn't give you time to start asking a lot of questions. And if you did, you were just kind of rushed through it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think, I think a lot of times when, when doctors are um, sort of sidestepping some of your questions or they don't know how to answer it, um, I, I, don't think, I don't think they're fully aware all the time. I don't think they always know that they're yeah. doing it. And I don't think they have usually have malicious intent. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't trust any doctor. I, there's so many incredible doctors out there. Um, I think that some, um, I think the way that they're trained in a lot of ways is great for uh, emergency care, right? Um, I don't feel good or I have the symptom. I have a cough. I have strep throat. I go to the doctor. They give me this pill. Um, and then we take care of, you know, the infection or I go in and I have a symptom and they give me a pill and it, and it fixes that symptom. But now, um, it's 20, it's 2022. I have to think about that for a minute. Here is it? It's 2022. And, and we're at this point where people are starting to have, uh, they're starting to question, well, why do I keep having these symptoms? What, what's going on? There's something deeper going on and nobody can answer this question. So medicine as it, as it stands right now. Um, the model just is, it needs to adjust to fit chronic disease, chronic illness, um, because that, that's what we're seeing more and more of now. Um, and, um, uh, kind of went off yeah. there. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. So, so, so t tell us about your first experience, um, going, well, actually I have a question first, if you don't mind. Um, have you kind of always been a question of, how do I phrase this? Kind of skeptical of authority oh, yeah. figures or, okay. So that, I yeah. think that sets up the groundwork because that's something that all three of us have in common. We've always been yeah. like, hey, wait a minute. Are you sure? Like, yeah. are, you, are you sure this is the way it is? And no, go to the principal's office. But yeah, exactly. And people love to get onto you, but you start having these conversations and they, they just immediately are like, oh, here we go with the conspiracy theories. And it's like, it's not a conspiracy anymore. This is not like, it's not even, it's not even a secret. Like, a lot of people are, will talk about it. They'll talk about big pharma. They'll talk about what they don't trust in the system. And um, it's not, it's not a conspiracy. It's just how it's just unfortunately how the system is now. And, um, and it's kind of fucked up, but that's just, that's just, uh, it, it's just how it is. And it doesn't have to be this big um, conspiracy, like uh, conundrum. It's just, um, let's just talk about it and get it out there. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, it definitely doesn't feel like it's conspiracy to me either, because most hospitals and places where, you know, you're going to get, going to go see the doctor, they're trying to flow through as many patients as they can, as sure. quick as they can um, for individual, you know, 
side effects or whatever's going on. They'd rather have you come in nine different times for one condition and right. treat yeah. every single, you know, side effect you've got rather than, you know, spend seven hours with you on one day, send you to a very specified lab and go through all this just to treat one condition and never see you again. There's no money in healing. Like healing yeah. doesn't, they, they want to keep you coming back for sure. Yeah. And it, it definitely doesn't feel malicious to me. And so, you know, one thing that also kind of stood out to me reading through some of these notes has been that like when the focus is on individualized medicine and really trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with the individual themselves, uh, you know, a lot of problems can be solved. Even if you have someone who might not be a doctor who's leaning that way, you right. know, if they're given enough time to really like look through what's going on and think about it, they tend to come to a lot better solutions for the individual. Exactly. And people are starting, people are really starting to put their trust in alternative sources um, now. I don't mean, sorry to interrupt you. But. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all leading to a question for you anyways. Um, you know, for someone who, uh, you know, let's pretend they're like 25 or 30 and they're trying to figure out like, what do I start doing long term for my health? How does someone even like begin to look at individualized medicine and finding practitioners who would like help them out? Like what, what is what's someone supposed to do? Well, yeah, what are we what are we supposed to do? That's the big question, isn't it? I, I think um, I from what I learned, um, it really is, is all coming down to genetics. I would, I'm really hopeful for genetics to become a standard in um, individualized care. I, I'm really hopeful for that to happen. I, I don't know if that's exactly how it's gonna go down, but um, ultimately genetics, you know, we, we exist in this uh, systematic sort of like umbrella where they say, okay, for most people, this might work in this scenario. And, and that's just, it's not, it's, it's not working out. It's not working out for us anymore. And so genetics, um, when I worked for uh, Dr. Stewart, you know, he always, he always said the biggest analogy he used to drop was if you're going to make a vegetable soup, what's the first thing you're going to do? And a lot of people would throw out their answers and they'd all say something like, oh, well, I'd, um, you know, I'd start cutting up some onions or I'd go to the store, or this and that. And the answer really should be like, look in your fridge and see what you've got first. Um, that was the correct answer. Um, it really doesn't make sense to just play guessing games with the patient and try this and try that. And sometimes that's the best we can do, right? Um, especially since not everyone is aware that they can get their genetics done and, and look at, at how their body uh, functions and metabolizes certain nutrition. But, um, but yeah, it, it just takes the guesswork out of, out of healing. And nutrigenomics in particular is, I think, where it's at. Um, and it's a different side of genetics that a lot of people don't know about. When people think about genetics, they think about like, you know, what, color or hair did I um, inherit from mom or dad or, or they'll think pattern baldness or, yeah yeah exactly or they'll think of the doom and gloom we call it the doom and gloom genes where um, you know heart did disease you, yeah did you inherit some horrible uh, you know threatening life-threatening disease you're going to die by the time you're 40 that kind of thing um, but there's a whole other side of genetics that looks at um, how your body processes nutrition and um and there's different pillars, we called them the foundations of healing. Um, uh, methylate, inflammation is the first, the first big one, and that's the one I really wanna touch on. Inflammation, uh, methylation, autophagy, um, hormones. It, there's a couple of different um, big important areas here, but. 
Well, I've, I've got a question could, here. When I hear those words, I don't know what they mean. I think a lot of people don't know what they mean either. Um, what is inflammation? I know we're all not supposed to be, we're avoiding it, right? It's a thing to avoid, but what is it? Well, it's a natural, it's a natural uh, proper response from your body to protect, um, to protect It's part of the immune system. Um, the problem is that uh, we've evolved to become very overly, uh, have very intense, <laughs> It's, it's autoimmune. It's autoimmune. We're really inflated, just say it. <laughs> Inflation is getting too high. <laughs> That's really what I wanted to More ways than one. <laughs> I mean, if, if I can actually backtrack this really quick here before we get into these definitions, um, if you can, if you have a suggestion, so I'm starting from square one and I want to get my genetics tested. I have a friend who's a Muay Thai fighter, bodybuilder, incredibly fit guy. He did a genealogy thing. And they gave him all this bulk data and he started plugging this data into various websites that he trusted to learn more about his genetics and upbringing and diet. So like if we could start there and then we could learn more about like um, the definitions of things we have to look out for. But where does where does someone start to, well, to find out what their genetics are so the and, and be sure that they're not getting sent their DNA to China? To yeah, no, that's safe. that's of course. So the company that I uh, was trained, basically trained under um unfortunately the company sold and so dr stewart still um he's obviously still the head of everything and oversees everything um but i've noticed um how how it used to be you could go online um you could uh it's gx he runs gx sciences neurobiologic neurobiologics um and it used to be that you could go uh order a panel online you didn't have to have a doctor you could just order panel they have different panels to choose from and of course they're a couple hundred bucks um now it's they have one big one that you can order direct uh direct to consumer and you can get it what they'll do is they'll send you a cheek swab and it's just like a q-tip right you just brush it inside your cheek you can do it to your baby as soon as they're born um and then you send it back and they um and they they test your dna and um, and then they send you back your results and you can choose to go to a doctor and, or Dr. Stewart, and you can uh, have those results read to you. That's, um, it's gotten a little bit more complicated. Unfortunately, I think you have to now, um, they, they do have that one panel that's direct to consumer. Uh, but if you want to get any of the other panels and dig even deeper, you, you're going to have to find a provider right now. Um, unfortunately, I can't. I don't have a list of providers that were trained by Dr. Mm -hmm. Stewart. I used to have one. Um, and then, and he used to, if I can get a hold of him, you know, and, and ask him who, who he recommends for different, um, you know, he, he's trained so many physicians, um, nutritionists, PAs, nurse practitioners, um, chiropractors all over the U S. And so my goal is to try and get that list back out there. So, but right now, um, uh, you know, GX Sciences is, is really is really where it's at with um, um, with nutrigenomics. In my opinion, I, I'm, I'm a little biased because that's where I was trained. Um, but there are some other companies coming out with um, nutrigenomics that you could probably research. And I, I'm trying to look into those two as alternatives because I know people are going to start people. You know, especially from from this conversation and the things that I'm writing about on Substack, I know that um, it's it's people are going to have a lot of questions, and this is the goal to get people to get their genetics done so they can look at their ingredients, their, their ingredients, what they need. Um, and uh, so, yeah, 
um, more on that coming, but. Um, oh, that's that's a great answer to the question. So yeah. first, you know, check out, is it GX Sciences or? Yeah, GX right? Sciences, GX I, yeah, I, yeah. Always get, I always get him confused because he, he, you know, there's a genetics and then there's a supplements company. Um, but yeah, GX Sciences is, is the big one. Um, well, and you know, our, our viewers are pretty good at doing their own research too. So yeah, I, imagine. You know, I think, I think that answers the question Yeah. So to start out, get your genetic information. And then from there, right. you are going into inflation and talking about what inflation does. Cause there's good and bad inflation. <laughs> yeah. Inflammation. You're right, right. Right. You will. And you brought up another point too, that some people will go on like 23 and mean, or they'll go to ancestry.com and they'll give it, they'll get a, a big, you know, just, it'll just spit out this huge report of genes and, and not tell you anything about them. And there are, like you said, websites you can go in and um, plug in that data. And, um, and so uh, th that's an option too, if you do, but a lot of people don't realize too, when they go to like ancestry.com, you're also given a list of genes. Um, it's, it's kind of hidden. So you, um, if you can find those and download the data and say that you can plug it into, um, there was a website you could go to and and they would uh sort of organize the data for you because um, you know of course it's not going to be super easy but um yeah so um the big one though that uh, is fun to check with with nutrigenomics is inflammation and um this is just it's just a chronic um uh ever-growing problem in, in most populations. And, and Dr. Stewart used to um, credit the plagues as being one of the biggest contributors to inflammation. I, to our genes um, being, so they, these are called single nucleotide polymorphisms. It's, a it's the most popular type of genetic mutation. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of different types of mutations out there, but this one is, and to put it very simply, you get a, you get a, a copy of a gene, you get one from mom and you get one from dad. And um, uh, you can be either heterozygous mutated where you have a, one broken copy and then one you know, healthy copy or um, natural uh, allele, or, or you um, can have both homozygous, meaning you're, you're mutated on both, both sides. Um, um, pardon my French. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't necessary. But, but so yeah, so there's, so you get, you can either be heterozygous or homozygous mutated and that kind of plays into how um, intense, uh, you know, the, the disease and the symptoms that, you, that you're gonna have, but inflammation in particular has been, um, it's interesting how much it's growing. And so, so Dr. Stewart used to say that because the plagues hit us, you know, it wiped out such a, such a huge chunk um, in this case of the European population. And, the ones that survived were the ones whose immune systems uh, were able to just go into overdrive and ramp up inflammation and not turn it off. And what they did was they survived and they passed down these, these mutated genes. And so with inflammation we have, and this is just a general, broad, general way of, of describing it. We have on switches and we have off switches um, with inflammation. And in an in a ideal healthy system, your body would have um, on switches that turn on inflammation when it's necessary and then off switches to turn it off when necessary. But unfortunately, we're finding that a lot of people have really messed up off switches and so um, and mutated on switches. So 
their on switches act so much more aggressively and their off switches are incapable of turning that off. And so your, your body sends out these um, chemical messengers, these interleukins that will basically um, head out to uh, the T helper cells and say, hey, hey come, come help, we've got an invader. And so when those show up, um, you know, at that point, trying to, I'm trying to recall this exact, uh, it's, it's a lot. Of right. I've got an interesting question here. So, you know, if you've got these mutations then where your on cells are, or your on switch is, you know, uh, acting hyper aggressively, is it kind of like, uh, I don't know, when you've got a kid and they think like literally everything is like, mom, come here, it's food, mom, come here, this is a dog, mom, come here, and you, you get over there and it's not a dog, it's just a squirrel, or well, it's, uh, Yeah, but, but imagine, imagine that, um, so imagine though, well, I'm trying to think, of, I'm trying to turn this, use that analogy, but it's not, it's not going to come out very elegantly. You can just um, tell them it's a terrible analogy. It's, just not, it's not the best analogy, but I, I appreciate what you're doing with this. I do. So, so no, no, it's not like that. These, these clinical oh. messengers will come, will come back and um, instead, of, instead of turning off inflammation, what ends up happening is you have a, a cascade where those cells will go to other cells and tell them to turn on the other cells and send out more chemical messengers. Mm. And so it turns into this we call it like a cytokine storm where you, you okay, yeah. all of these protective chemical messengers to tell other cells to send out more chemical messengers. And it just cascades and it snowballs until you're, you're just, you're snowballing in inflammation. And what ends up coming uh, out of that is, is damage. You start having damage that needs to be repaired. And then, and that's where a lot of um, the patients that would come in, uh, you know, they, they had already been beyond that point. <laughs> Um, now, are we, are you finding this through like what, what, um, stimulating factors? Is it like food? Is it environmental toxins? Is it exercise? You know, what? Yeah, no, man. Inflammation is, is everywhere. It's funny because, uh, I, I know someone recently who I was, I was trying to talk to him about inflammation. He was like, well, you don't want to turn it off completely. You know, you don't, you don't want right. to, it, it's impossible. It's, it's not that it's impossible. It's that, it's that. Um, it's really hard. There are drugs that they will use to suppress your immune system. So mainstream medicine, if I go in and they say, okay, you've got rheumatoid arthritis, we're going to give you this immune suppressor drug. Um, try not to get sick because you could die. Like that's, that's what we're talking about, but you don't have to do that. What we really need is a buffer. And so, um, and, uh, <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> Sorry. Well, so what I just, sorts you know, of triggers are there? For, Every, so for these, for these like uh, mutated mutated genes or whatever. Yeah. So the, for the yeah, because like okay, I work out a lot, and when yeah. you work out and lift weights, you're causing inflammation in your muscles. And like after right. my workout in the morning, I'll specifically take a warm shower as opposed mm -hmm. to a cold shower right. because I don't want to stop that infl inflammation. I want to stay inflamed the rest of the body is or the rest right. of the day if yeah. my muscles are rebuilding and getting stronger. So some yeah. you know, but like also there's food, there's microplastics. So I was just wondering what have you noticed with, you know, these uh, mutations that is causing more inflammation or causing uh, the things that turn off and turn on. Yeah, the triggers, the triggers are, the go. problem is we have so many more triggers now, you know, we're surrounded by, I call it the dopamine um, blue light box, it, the TV, everything is, is triggering and mm. anything, anything that's really stimulating. Uh, uh, and I, don't quote me on this, but 
I, I'm really tempted to say like everything is inflammatory growing, developing, you know, you're, you're breaking down tissue, you're building new bones. Um, like you said, exercise cortisol, like man, the, yeah, it, it's a highly inflammatory, um, event. Um, the most underrated inflammatory events though, like PMS and, uh, braces. Um, we used to talk about this a lot, mm. that bone on bone, um, movement, um, when you're moving teeth around, um, I, you know, I, I'm still glad I got braces, but I've had headaches ever since, you know, um, that's there's just, a, there's a controversial dentist. And I forget what it's called. It's not called like not defooing that's Stefan Molyneux. Um, but there's this technique where you take flirt knows who I'm talking about. Uh, there's a technique where you take the, the, your tongue and push on the roof of your mouth. Because there's only so much, uh, Brett Weinstein was actually talking about Weinstein, not, not the airplane guy. Um, anyways, uh, pushing on the roof of your mouth and strengthening your palate, which helps align yeah. your teeth. And they've found a correlation between like using a pacifier too long as a child to needing yeah. braces. I've been, hearing, know, so. I've been hearing about this. TikTok especially has been targeting me because my daughter's using a pacifier. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've heard about this and, and it seems like there's, I, I don't know if they call it functional dentistry, but there's there's holistic dentists and um, they're, they're trying to find ways to sort of prevent these really intense cosmetic procedures that we get, you know, in the middle of puberty, <laughs> which is when you are, uh, it's such an inflammatory time, you know, acne and um, mm -hmm. your hormones and hormones are another, another big one. Um, your, your most helpful anti-inflammatory uh, hormones for men, it's, it's uh, their testosterone for women, it's progesterone. These are the most helpful tools that we have um, and unfortunately, could you, could you say that again, the, the, the female hormone that you said yeah, is most important progesterone. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this, which was another very, uh, frustrating part of, um, you know, spending so much time with the OB where that's like the OB would be the one you would expect to go to if you want to get your hormones checked. And it's like, oh, they, they, and I, I really don't want to, um, trash talk all OBGYNs, right? Um, there's so many incredible doctors out there and they did their due diligence. They went to medical school, right? Um, but unfortunately, I don't think that they're all trained in, in hormones. Um, the US especially, we don't, we just don't know anything. <laughs> they really don't test your hormones until, until you're 50 something years old and they're gone. And so for women, what we see is they, um, uh, they you, you lose your progesterone, you lose more and more progesterone after each child. Um, and, uh, we're surrounded by estrogen, right? We're surrounded by these, there's xenoestrogens or, or, and, um, uh, excuse me, uh, endocrine disruptors that sort of attach to the receptors and act like estrogen. And it really disrupts, um, it's, it's just as disruptive to men as it is for women. So a lot of misunderstanding around hormones, uh, like men, a lot of people seem to think testosterone makes you aggressive and, and angry. And it's like, actually testosterone and estrogen rise and fall together. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times when men start taking testosterone, they feel fantastic, but they have to take an estrogen blocker um, in addition to that, or else your balls might get kind of saggy. So, um, but, but the point is that um, you, uh, estrogen is really the, I don't, estrogen is, is necessary in certain amounts, but there's good estrogen 
estrogen and then there's bad estrogen. And, um, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what, what hormones um, are most beneficial and healthy for your body. There's a, perf there's a good balance, right? There's a perfect balance that needs to exist. Um, but progesterone is the anti-inflammatory, anti-insulinic, uh, anti-cancer, you know, that when it starts to disappear as, as we get older, women start to get breast cancer because they have this plethora of estrogen um, in their body. They have no progesterone to protect against that. Then they've got, then they get breast cancer. And that's not to say that all cases of breast cancer arise from this, but we're, we're learning more and more about um, how estrogen and how our environment plays into this. Um, so much can be said about uh, prostate cancer as well. Um, and how so is, um, is, uh, am I saying this right? Pro progesterone? Pro, how do I say this? Progesterone. And we're talking about Wait. natural progesterone. Not, we're not talking right. about birth control where they give you a, a fake synthetic progestin, which zaps you of your own natural progesterone and puts you into a state of like premenopause when you're 16 years old. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fairly anti anti-birth control with every, yeah. every, all the data that we're coming out. But what I was going to ask you is, so like men have estrogen and men have testosterone, right. women have estrogen, women have testosterone, but they're clearly different levels for, mm -hmm. you know, different purposes, evolutionary biology, whatnot, right. um, for progesterone, I mess up names all the time. Um, <laughs> do, do men have about the same amount or is it, is there greater amounts in women for, for men? Does it decline at the same rate uh, as women or? I, so the, the, it, I, so I, first of all, let me say, I'm not an endocrinologist. I'm not a doctor. I never went to medical school. So right. let me just, let me just clarify. I don't know how much I know that from, if I recall correctly, men have a slight amount of progesterone. Um, but the parallel I'm trying to make with women needing progesterone is men needing their testosterone. And as we get older, these gotcha. start to decline. So for men, you know, you're, it, you start losing your testosterone and then you're surrounded by estrogen and based on your body's ability to detoxify. And this is why I left Los Angeles. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere, but now yeah, the pollution's, pollution's pretty bad out there. So. No, no, I just meant all the over feminized men that can't carry a goddamn shield to protect their community. So that's well, hey, it might not be their fault. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about a lot of environmental toxins and xenoestrogens. And I think some people are kind of familiar with things like BPA-free plastics and whatnot. But what are the main sources of environmental toxins that we need to be aware of and try and minimize in our lives, especially so, for growing kids? Yeah, well, there's so many. And it's funny, I, one, of my, one of my close friends used to say, God, I hate the word toxins. It's like, I always hear moms in their yoga pants talking about toxins. And like, I understand this argument because we, we need to remember everything is a chemical, right? Not all chemicals are bad. Everything's a chemical. Um, some things are just toxic and most generally just toxic all around. Some things are just, you need and you can kind of have in moderation, but it depends on your body's ability again to sort of detox and, and metabolize certain um, uh, <laughs> toxins um, from your body. But, yeah, we're surrounded, we're surrounded, you know, we. We, we're so used to being, uh, we're so used to plastic. It's like a normal part of our life, right? Everything is plastic. It's funny, um, used to, I used to hear people say like, like I left this water in my car and I was tempted to just, I was tempted to throw it away and get new water. But like, 
what's wrong is still water. And it's like, actually you, you have this, people have this gut idea. They get this gut feeling like this has been sitting in my car. Maybe I should get something fresh, but it's not that the water's uh, contaminated um, from like germs. It's that really your water has been sitting in the sun. You know, when you leave plastic uh, sitting in a hot car, uh, you know, out here in Texas, like you really don't need to be drinking that. You're, um, it's a chemical reaction is, is taking place. Everything is a chemical and certain chemical reactions are going to be taking place under certain conditions. And we just are so used to, um, you know, seeing a plastic bottle and saying, well, I don't see, I don't see the chemicals getting in the water. So they mm -hmm. must not be good. Or, you know, you're a quack for, for thinking maybe I should, maybe I should pour it out or maybe I should get something fresh. It's like, well, you know, you're, you're onto something there. It just... Um, would it would it make sense that like clothing and just just things that are, are home and so like I, I bought my first house and I'm out in the country and the air smells amazing I just left Los Angeles which used to be one of my favorite cities in the world but it is a cesspool currently of both ideology and uh, leg legitimate real world pollutants and so as I'm buying you know I, I have this bed that I built for for camping from a pickup truck and I just bought like something at Walmart on one of my cross country drives some you know real tree camo sheets and put it in there but after I moved here I was using this bed and I'm like man this doesn't feel right and I'm like oh yeah it's polyester and I'm sitting there for you know four hours a night which should be eight now it's finally eight you know sleeping sweating touching all of these you know petroleum chemical based you know so now I have like all cotton sheets all cotton that feather pillows you know I'm going all natural with pretty much everything and I feel like part of it is you know in my head but the other part of it is I think legitimate like I feel better because of it that and I still want to have kids I just turned 40 and I, I want my swimmers to just be like Phelps, you know what I mean? I don't want like you know Mark Zupan's swimmers special. <laughs> I know you're, you're definitely onto something, and it's 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 like you do the best you can, you know. Um, sometimes just making a small switch from like you know we're switching from plastic plastic sippy cups to silicone, silicone. Um, you make small changes as many as you can. I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed and terrified. Um, uh, it's so easy to be terrified and, and frozen, like, oh my God, but every, everything's inflammatory, everything's toxic, what do I do, what do I do? And, and so from there, some people will decide, okay, well, that's just, they're, they're so afraid that they just are like, well, that's factory, like, there's nothing wrong, like, stop saying that. Or, or they'll panic and like, there's no, what do I do? There's so much to be done. And I think you just do the best you can. You keep taking small steps, um, when you can afford it, because again, you know, things start to get a little expensive um, and you do the best you can uh, in small steps at a time, because it's just, it, it's impossible to detox, you know, quote unquote, detoxify everything all at once. The world is going to ask you to, um, to sit in a toxic cesspool regardless, you're going to be surrounded by it. And this is really where genetics comes into play. Um, and knowing um, one of the best, one of the other great parts about uh, this genetics, nutrigenomics, these panels is you can see how your body metabolizes toxic waste. And um, for example, I have, there's a couple of, got quite a few broken uh, genes that make it difficult for my body to uh, produce uh, glutathione. And so glutathione is like... Uh -huh. Right, the master of all detox. Um, you guys have heard about N-acetylcysteine, maybe. Well, it's growing in 
the knowledge base in glutathione is glowing is growing partially right. due to Dr. Mark Gordon and you know Joe Rogan and yeah. Dr. Um, what is her name? Uh, Found my fitness, the young lady. Yeah. We specifically there's specifically a gene that um, shows how uh, susceptible you are to like Roundup. So we it's this gene that you know there are some people that got um, exposed to Agent Orange and and they came back to the states and some were perfectly fine and some ten years later started. Uh, growing tumors and, and I know these, a few no yeah and these genes will um can really help us now understand what, what kind of risk you're at and um in general I think it's safe to say most people should probably just stay the hell away from Roundup right stay away from uh, as many of uh, these really toxic um endocrine disrupting chemicals as you can because so many of them are carcinogenic and mutagenic um but uh if you really want to understand your risk the most, it's it's going to come down to genetics, and you do the best you can. You let medicine, good med, and I say good medicine here. Um, you do the best you can, and you let medicine take care of the rest. Is kind of how I view it, um, because it's hard to balance all of that in today's world. Um, and I think it's important to remember a balance. You know, like you know, yeah, eat as organic as you can, but like you know. Have, have a chicken nugget every now and then you're not gonna you know just but know know your body know its ingredients what does it need is um you know it there's it's a constant balance to be had um to live your life and not live in constant fear but still be willing to make uh healthy choices that allow you to really fully live your life and not um uh, suffer from chronic disease <laughs> uh, for the rest of your life um, yeah, that's this not is this is a really good point. It kind of reminds me of some anecdotes because you know, every now and then there's people who live to like 110, 120 years old and they'll like interview them on the news <laughs> and they'll be like, so what's your secret? And the woman's like, oh, well, I said pack a day. Yeah, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> um, you know, I don't eat anything green because it's not my favorite color. And I, I think people want to lean on that because they assume like, oh, anyone can make it to that age. I just got to take the advice. But it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you wouldn't go to like, I don't know, Christian Bale and ask him for dating advice because his advice is just gonna be like, well, you know, I just walk outside and women approach me. <laughs> it's like, you, you gotta, you gotta ask advice to the right people. You don't want to ask like a trust fund baby, like, what should I invest in? Because, you know, it's right. all the same to them. And in the same, what, what we really need to think about with health is instead of, um, asking people who are living long, like what they're doing, we should instead be like figuring out what's in their genes and which genes we share with them. And yeah. what to copy because you know find you've the, got great points the, yeah find the trends um because even you know we're still we're such we're at the fourth you know we're just beginning to understand um nutrigenetics in general i mean it's this stuff has really only been around for like a blink of time <laughs> we don't have we don't have to go down the rabbit hole about time and, and how fast it really is but it's just it we're just so brand new to it and there's still so many genes to be discovered and um we don't, we really don't know. We know, we know a lot and, um, we still have so much to learn. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> so. so quick question for you. Um, unless you, did you add something flirt? Uh, I was going to change subject a little bit, so you should go first. Okay. So yeah, this will, this will, I think this will probably just be a yes or no answer, or maybe you can give it an example. But, um, so my dad, I call him wiry. Um, I'm a, I'm a bit taller than he is, but he's like one of the strongest people I know, but like, work all day, swing a hammer, you know, carry like heavy wire, 
kind of kind of you know tough and strong and he's a former dairy farmer but like his side of the family is kind of skinnier people my sister takes after his side of the family genetically like as far as size and build goes mm -hmm. and i take after more my mom's side of the family they're larger people um there there is some obesity issues on on my mom's side of the family and because of that, I've watched, you know, usually I watch what I eat and I've, I'm very careful. Like my dad can eat almost anything, at least on the outside. It looks like he's, you know, fit. That doesn't mean it's not affecting him a little bit on the inside. Like I remember when like he, he gave up Mountain Dew and he was like, he's drinking too much Mountain Dew. You know, this is in the 90s. Um, but I, I, you know, watch what my family eats. And I, I looked at other people that have my build and, and background, like I'm a German, Austrian, American and I found, I think, through looking at my own genetics, like physically looking at it and the people that I came from, what what diet and exercise works the best for me, because yeah. I didn't want to have some of the health problems that that side of the family has. Yeah. It, would you recommend that? Like, as in like, hey, just look at your own family or how would, you know, what, what, what do you think about this? Well, you can, you can get a picture. You can get a, you can start to get a picture of um, kind of what you inherited when you're looking at your family and you get kind of get a gut feeling um but it still is a roll of the dice you're still that for my mom's side <laughs> you still it's still a roll of the dice and you're still going to be very genetically different from your siblings as much as you right carry, as much as you carry um uh, as, as, as genetically similar as you may be to them, there's still so much uh, difference there. And it's well, I, I have identical twin nieces. They were literally identical twins, you know, the way like not paternal and they're very different now, like size, yeah. facial structure, everything, but they weren't. And just due to environment or just whatever inside them that changes it. And it, that's fascinating. There's a know? lot of really fascinating twin studies out there and a lot of different theories, you know, on nature versus nurture. And I still think even when they're, even when they're identical, we're going to, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm skeptical that anybody can really truly be perfectly genetically identical to. I don't believe they can. I, I think that's impossible. Like the second, not even the second they pop out, like one's on the right side and one's on the left, you know, like I yeah, it just, and, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's already impossible to be the same person, you know, it's the environment surely plays a huge role in that too. But um, yeah, there's so many new genes now we're, we're learning about leptin genes and, um, and they call it the fatso gene. And it basically just <laughs> predicts your body's ability to, uh, it, 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 it's not necessarily Sounds like a base geneticist that discovered this one. You know, like a... <laughs> There's like, there's like, like the ugly pointy nose fish or something, you know, it was like, oh, that guy was cool. He's like, fuck you fish. You know, you got bit by, so you're the ugly fish. You know, they're usually, you know? they're usually That's acronyms. So they're usually acronyms. Um, so it, it might probably stand for something. Somebody picked that acronym out though. Like, Look, yeah, they're bored. They're these really bored. The military does that all the they're time. They're really bored scientists. They're sitting in a lab all day. Of course. Yeah. They got to make it fun. And, and we remember it better, right? We're never going to yeah, forget yeah, yeah. That's what genius. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily condemn you to being a fatso for the rest of your life, but um, it's wild that you can actually um, get a better understanding of, of how your body um, metabolizes different macros. Um, my you know, genetic I would argue that you almost have no excuse now. It's like, you know, the two sons. You know, why are you an alcoholic? Well, my father was an alcoholic. It's in my DNA. You know, it's my genetics. I'm an alcoholic. It's just the way it is. And you ask his brother, hey, why aren't you an alcoholic? Well, I don't touch the stuff because my dad's an alcoholic. Or why don't you drink? He's like, I don't touch the stuff because my dad's an alcoholic. My brother, 
you know, if you have a predisposition for heart disease, that means, hey, you, heart disease should be the last thing you die from since you know all the steps to prevent it. Like that's well, something that you should focus yeah. on. Yeah, and the thing is we're, we're still learning how to prevent. Um, the thing is preventative medicine is, is still, uh, it's, it's like taboo almost. It's like nobody, um, it's- Especially in 2020 on to now because, or just treating things, but I don't wanna get into but, that. But a lot of people, you know, people are pushing for it more and more. There really is a push for it. And so I'm hopeful, but preventing is, is difficult and people will do the best they can. Um, and you're, I think we're always gonna be in a, in a battle between um, what we want and, uh, and what we know about our genetics and what our body's going to actually do. And so you, you, again, you do the best you can. Um, but there's so much to be learned and, and we're getting there. And, and so with these fatso genes, um, you can figure out how your body metabolizes. I, it was fascinating. I found out that my body, um, really holds on. So I grew up knowing, um, my family really drilled it into me, um, learned a lot about how, um, you know, they really, uh, they villainized fat. Remember how fat and low fat diets were there? Oh yeah, yeah. I can't believe it's not butter and margarine. Yeah, and like, so pyramid was like- 80s, oh, 80s, 90s kid? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's- It's nuts. That's and all it, I eat now. I go to the grocery store to get the fat trimmings from the beef. Yeah. Like, I'm mostly carnivore-esque. I don't recommend it for everybody, but like it, it seems yeah. to be the best diet for me and like and just consuming massive amounts of fat. I've never been healthier, more clear-minded. And I was, you know. you know, what I was going to say really is um, I've always been under that same mindset, but, but um, as especially now that I'm, you know, still recovering from having a baby, it's getting, it's just so hard. It's so hard to, to get back in shape. And I was looking at my genetics and my body really holds on fat. And so I, I always grew up knowing like eating fat doesn't make you fat. That's not how it works. Um, but there's a few cases where someone like me might need to, to trim back on the, the dietary fat a little. Um, that doesn't mean we villainize fat. Doesn't mean I should necessarily eat a low fat diet, but it's just an example of how everybody is so uh, complex and how they metabolize things differently do, um do you know where your family's from like uh your, your you know your ancestors like what climates they involved evolved in uh, climates no but i i just you know we're all anglo-saxon mutts so you know just so like, europe okay yeah just all like mostly scottish um a lot of scottish irish and you know i, I just, played a, a scottish mercenary in a movie that we filmed in oh. korea and so actually no uh, way. I'm not gonna do <laughs> right now but you can go find it's called we gotta Eight hear point it. Well, you can you can pay the four ninety nine or whatever. On <laughs> I apparently I signed a contract saying I, I forfeit residuals. I didn't realize that when I did it, so it's, oh, I'm, no. that's not going to me. But but wow. leave a comment. Oh, that mer that Scottish mercenary. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna find your Venmo. I'm gonna watch it. It's called uh, take, take point. There we go. But uh, so okay, so yeah, so European. But that also leads to a lot of genetic variants too, depending yes. upon like. Your family's from Northern Europe or your family's from, you know, the mountains or are they from like the South of France mm -hmm. or Italy? You know what I mean? That, that leads to a, a big genetic variation. And so this is a big, a lot of these trends, um, this was a really huge trend that we would joke about in the office. You see a, a fair eyed, fair skin, uh, blondie come in or redhead, you know, um, and we're just like, oh, she comes, you know, and she's got just autoimmune issues. And, and I, and I'm really hate to generalize for all, you know, 
white people, but yeah, the, the gingers, we just call them gingers. It's a, it's a hate <laughs> word. We're just, the, the I'm just kidding. I, I'm ginger. Bearded I can see. I really want to hear that. I really want to hear that, that Scottish accent. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you see, you see a lot of trends and um, you see so many trends in these uh, different um, just racial I, you know, ethnic groups or genetic populations. I found that saying genetic population takes a lot of the like stigma and a lot of the uh, emotional yeah. connotation that that's carried in the current, you know, 2020s uh, when you say race. Because yeah. like, I don't know, whatever, but it's literally genetic populations. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like Flirt and I clearly, because you know, Flirt's actually from, his family's from Norway, but he has the opposite disease that Michael Jackson had. <laughs> yeah, for people not watching, uh, my family is definitely from a continent that starts with an A and ends with Fricka. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, I won't go on too big of a tangent. I, I'm always like really fascinated by like racial origins and genetics. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because I was, so there's this big thing in the news right now, Kyrie Irving's getting in trouble for like uh, being anti-Semitic or something. And, uh, you know, one thing people don't know is like the term Semite actually applies to a good bit of Northern Africa um, and small chunks of Eastern Africa. Now most Sub-Saharan Africans are South of Sahara. They're not part of this group. But on the East side of Africa, there was this big genetic flow surrounding like the Red Sea. So like Ethiopia, Kenya, and, um, Eritrea and Somalia are actually like a lot more closely related to the Middle East than like the western side of Africa, like Nigeria, um, some Sierra Leone, Liberia and whatnot. And uh, like even the Ark of the Covenant is supposedly hiding in Ethiopia right now. Like, I mean, there's tribes from Israel that went down there, one of them apparently, uh, settled in Axum and several other cities. And it's really fascinating when you think about it. So like, you know, races in Europe. Uh, people think it's like, oh, it's white, but like not. Nah, there's like 19 different groups up there. Races in Africa. You think, oh, it's black. They're like, no, there's 38 of them. Uh, yeah. Asia, yeah, yeah. There's a, everywhere. Africa has like really crazy different. genetic diversity. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And you know, this kind of dovetails in something else you would uh, include for us um, is talking about you know medical research and some of the results that come out of it. Like a lot of medical research doesn't seem like it takes genetics into it at all. They just kind of randomize it and they've got like a group uh -huh. and they're like, uh, fat's bad for you, fat's good for you. When really it's like, well, which group is it? I mean, it's good for uh -huh. each group, right? How does it's, this work? I, it's beyond me how, how so many people just aren't like, the way that I like to think about a lot of things in life is get to the core, get to the root of, of what's going on. Like, what's the problem? How, how, what is the most single, common denominator in, in this issue. And it just seems like that's a good way of thinking about it. A lot of people like to publish research to be the first to publish it. And um, there's there's different, um, people are driven to publish research. Different interests. Yeah, they've got a, they got a lot of different reasons to do that. It, it's just, it's messed up. I'm, I'm getting a lot uh, more, even more and more skeptical about published research now. Um, I, I don't know the entire process of how these uh, review boards work and who's on these boards and who decides, okay, like how are we going to challenge this paper and make sure that it's, um, we understand statistically how it works. Are the numbers, do the numbers add up, so to speak? And um, is it good, what's good research and what's bad research and who, this is something that I'm really trying to um, understand more and more and um <laughs> but i mean yeah genetics like it it 
genetics should be, um, I think, the core of of most research, um, and it's not. That's a really good point. Something, I don't. Something you said like about how like you're still trying to figure out. That's something that everybody, unfortunately, now has to do. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, you know what? Because I, I was a kid, late, late '80s, early '90s. I was born '82, and so the internet. I'm I'm what they call the Nintendo generation, or right in between Gen X and Millennial. Flirts a Millennial, yeah. not a stereotypical Millennial. I just giving them a little crap. Stereotypical. Um, <laughs> but um i was like oh man this thing that's that's coming it's the internet nobody's gonna argue anymore because you're just gonna be able to look everything up and unfortunately and right. <laughs> oh so right <laughs> <laughs> um but like, overload yeah right but but not just that but there's all these interests right and it's and there's you know organizations are getting bigger, which allow more positions of power, which allow more corruptible people seeking out these positions of power. And a lot of people don't realize research, scientific research, medical research, there's a lot of monies behind that. And so like, I remember reading about Vietnam books when I was a kid and there wasn't really an internet. And like, then I'd read another book where like, they were calling out this other guy that wrote this book is baloney. And so then I realized like, I'd have to go to the library if I wanted to know something scientific and use the Dewey decimal system. You guys remember that? And I'd <laughs> check out five books on one subject. And then I'd re- read five other books written by those same authors to know and come to find out one of these authors, authors was full of shit. Yeah. And it took like, it took weeks for me to do that. And so like, when you bring that up, I think that's really important that we have to be discerning. And like, I don't have time to do certain things. Like if there's a crypto question, I ask him. If there's a gun question, right. he asked me, you know, right, we kind of right. covered down. Right. But we do have to have some base level of discernment exactly. and skepticism. And that's something that I've noticed for the last like 15, 20 years, if I want to read a medical journal, because I have severe, severe, severe adult ADHD, and there's a lot of bullshit professionally and medical speaking about it, but there's stuff that's true too. And so you really got to figure out, well, who's this doctor? Who's he paid for? What was this study done? What's this publication? You know, and it's, it can be frustrating, but, but I think that's also like when you find someone you trust and this doctor that you work with, you trust him, right? Absolutely. And I think like, Tim Pool, you know, here's a great example. Someone that I trust. I know their biases. So like, I guess I don't know really where I'm going here with this. I just wanted to point out, I think you said something really important there that you're struggling. We're all struggling with it right now. Yeah, we need to yeah. figure it out. And you, there, you need some, you need some, uh, some kind of faith to Keep hold talking. on to. I'm gonna, somebody I'm that you, you need somebody that you can trust um, to be objective and look at things um, from multiple perspectives and be willing to be open about their, their biases, kind of like you were saying, you, you know their biases and um, and if they're willing to talk about that, I mean, it just makes the process easier. Um, you know, what a beautiful dog. One thing that I gotta think about though is, uh, I think we, we tend to view things based on like when we discover them. So like over the last two years, for instance, me, I've discovered like, oh shit, there's a lot of things I thought I could trust that I can't trust. And then, you know, in my head, then I say like, oh, well, this is when it got bad two years ago. But like the real truth is like, it's been bad forever. And now it's actually like, oh, I'm learning now and everyone else is learning as well. So really it's actually like more of a hopeful time more than anything else. Cause um, Mm -hmm. you know, looking like it, and I always sound like a dirty uh, skeptic when I say it's like vaccine, like the history of like the vaccines that were, you know, required to take here. Um, You know, when I was born, I think there was like 12 of them I had to take. 
And then, you know, kids born now, I don't know how many, like 70, 80, like Barb, you probably have a better idea, like what the vaccine schedule looks like right now. And, you know, almost all of them are like meaningless. Like, why are we having kids taking like hepatitis vaccines? Like they're not having sex. Like, why does a two-year-old leave them before they can leave the hospital? Who, who, who agreed to that? It doesn't make any sense. Well, just just wait for the monkeypox vaccine. <laughs> weird how they stopped uh, reporting on that once kids and dogs started catching it. That was weird. <laughs> well, once they have a dog vaccine for it, they'll start telling us again. <laughs> it's, it's really political. Um, you know, one of the big things that we used to talk about was um, babies as soon as they're born getting a Hep B, um, you know, vaccine and and. In the the idea was that doctors aren't allowed to discriminate, and I don't know entirely. I don't know the entire fine print of how this works in the hospital. Um, I just know that, from what I understand, doctors are not allowed to discriminate. Are you a drug user or not? Right? Um, they're not allowed to discriminate these things. So right off the bat, they just say Hep B. Let's give this baby Hep B um, and protect oh. And so, uh, I, you know, it, it's yeah. There's a lot of um, Overprotection. Um, this is a really, really controversial topic, and um, I really good. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's have our like, first uh, podcast I, we're putting on YouTube get flagged and kicked off. I'm all I for refuse, it. I refuse to um, think of vaccines as a black and white issue. It's simply not a black and white issue. It, again, you anti-vaxer, you it, dirty it's, anti-vaxer. It's amazing. The minute you start to have this conversation, or or just yeah, right. any sort of any sort of weird gray area, people say, "Oh, okay, they're anti-vaxxers." Like, no, 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 no. Um, this it really comes down to the individual. You need to know what their on switches, what their off switches look like. You need to know how their autophagy works. Can their body recycle um, nutrients in the cell? How how effectively are they? Is their immune system going to respond? Because um, if we have over, <laughs> if our immune systems are on overdrive, and you inject somebody with a live, a live virus, um, you have to expect a response to happen. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be injured from the vaccine. Um, but I cannot stress enough the sheer number of parents in this, the number that Dr. Stewart gave um, on one of his podcasts, he, he estimated about 70%, um, cause he, he's a, he's a um, autism specialist really. Oh, cool. um, so most of his patients were on the spectrum and they'd come in and in the patient, about 70% of these parents would be like, look, um, we have nowhere else to go. Nobody believes me. And it, and you know, and people were going to hear this and they're going to have, um, they're going to have accusations. They're going to be skeptical and they're going to say, well, it's all in their heads or they're going to have some kind of potentially very logical reason to say that, okay, well, they're wrong. It's not, you know, these vaccines did not cause autism. But Dr. Stewart specifically will, will tell you this. It's it's not like there's something in the vaccine that causes autism, right? It's that there's an inflammatory response that seems to mm. um, be triggered by a very, very severe, <laughs> very, very severe inflammatory response that's triggered by these some of these vaccines, particularly the live vaccine. Um, I think it's rubella that likes to hang out, kind of hangs out in your nervous system you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe him or the countless other doctors that don't talk about it. Um, that, you know, cause they'll lose their jobs. Well, a- you don't, you don't have to believe anybody. It's all fun and games until it's your kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and to clarify, you're not saying specifically that 
the vaccines cause autism. It's a trigger. You're saying yeah. that yeah. it could be an, uh, an anti-inflammatory response or something. It's, it's a, a hella, there's more mechanics involved. It's a hella inflammatory response, um, and it's uh, it's like a neuroimmune dysfunctioning that ends up happening is what um, we're discovering about spectrum about spectrum kids and and who grow into spectrum adults and um it can happen from a car wreck it can happen from a, from a that's what i was gonna say there's other there's other factors that can cause um, you know, this, this similar group of symptoms as well one of the most profound things that dr stewart said once was um the only difference between autism and um sorry got mom brain it's late it's okay. the only difference between okay. autism and alzheimer's is age and that really stuck mm. with me because what we noticed was that the patients that came in with these neurodegenerative diseases were like you know i've been healthy my whole life i took a tumble one day or i got in a car wreck now i can't move any of my limbs right what happened it's not like there were no answers and they they went to 40 different providers i will never forget the patient who came in and was like look this is my last resort i've been everywhere i can't work anymore i had this car accident i can't work if you can't help me i'm going to portland for assisted suicide well traumatic traumatic brain injury is a serious thing something i'm very familiar with guys also like it, it affects your what is it your hippocampus like the, the hormone production messing up like oh. the hundreds of hormones your body produces so there's more and there's more um huge really important genes that i really wanted to talk about that he um mm -hmm. He uh, discussed at one of his, his conferences. There's these, your your immune, your body's your. Uh, I'm just spilling out words now because I'm so excited and ramped up. Your uh, your nervous system's ability to repair itself. There's there are genetics that um, that we're discovering are highly mutated in these aut autistic kids, autistic adults, and neurodegenerative diseases. Um, synapsin one. Um, neural growth factor, NGF, BDNF, these are almost always um, doubly mutated, at least hetero heterozygous mutated or doubly mutated um, in these patients. And uh, these are huge. We're finding, he, he mentioned some stitch, I think it was like 95 or 98% of these had, uh, had one or two of these uh, mutations and um, your body's inability to repair it, it's, itself is enormous and so when you have these traumatic events or brain damage or car accidents like uh, i i'm doubly mutated at synapsin one um huge huge correlation between this genetic mutation and mental retardation got lucky <laughs> sometimes i wonder but I'm <laughs> you know but but um but they what they said was you know just wear your seatbelt <laughs> like Realistically, realistically, yeah. if I get, if I am in, if I get in some kind of car wreck or have some kind of brain damage, I'm going to be in big trouble. And so CTE and, and, and traumatic brain injury is that you're at a higher risk for it. I'm at a higher risk for a neurodegenerative, uh, neurodegeneration from, um, from traumatic damage from any sort of immune, uh, injury really um okay so so like if you had the choice between going and playing golf and going and play and water skiing maybe play golf since water skiing you're like you know your brain basket yeah. is shaking across the waves right. the whole time. So like this is an instance where genetics me like hey maybe you shouldn't be a ufc fighter learn how exactly. to defend yourself and but get into you know bridge 
Yeah. You know, so a lot, of, a lot of healthy developing kids, we'd be like, look, you know, it's just steer clear from contact sports. So you're going to, you're going to have some trouble. Well, my kids are going to learn how to fuck people up, but they're not going to play football. <laughs> so they're going to learn how to fight. <laughs> I, I kind of want to peel this back just a little bit, just to make sure that like I'm following this causal chain of events. And so that, like the other listeners understand as well. So, you know, we've got two things here. One, like, is the inflammation response. So if you get a vaccine and this live virus is hanging out in, say, like the neural network of your brain and you have an inflammation response there, it can possibly cause damage. And then depending on if you have the ability to repair that damage or not, can determine if you end up with some sort of neurodegenerative disorder or if maybe your kid just has like a bad month or two and then comes back. And so you, we also need to, I need to add that there's still so many things that we haven't talked about. Like there's autophagy, uh, which is your body's ability to recycle cellular junk, um, which is a huge age thing about it's, it won the Nobel uh, prize in medicine. I think it was like 2016 or something. It's huge. And so much, so much of the medical community just doesn't know about it. And um, this is a huge, um, aspect of your body's ability to protect itself from some of these traumatic events. Um, so there's still so much more to be said than just inflammation and just uh, synaptic repair, right? There's autophagy, there's methylation, there's your hormones. Um, um, there's, it, it's a huge, just complicated, uh, complex picture, but generally broad, like in a broad sense, yes. What you're saying is, is kind of what I'm trying to get at that, um, there are these really important genes um, that can help us understand how we're going to respond to highly traumatic and inflammatory events. And that's, these are good things to know and people don't know about them, but we're trying to make them more well-known. So, okay. You, so do you know, is no, go on. Oh, okay. so the vaccines them, themselves aren't really like necessarily good or bad. It's more of like, is it going to potentially cause your body to go into overdrive? And can you repair the damage from that overdrive? And I guess yeah. that could apply to probably most any vaccine that is probably out there just because they're kind of uh, traumatic events or are some vaccines better and some worse? Live, live viruses particular are, are going to... Live viruses, um, these vaccines work because they in, in, they get a response from your body, right? And that's, that's why they work. They your, your immune system says, oh shit, you don't seem like you're supposed to be here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a response and we're gonna create these antibodies and that's, that's how it works. Um, and some people, these responses are just too much for them, um, unfortunately. And the vaccines really have done wonders for us. We, you know, medicine has done amazing things. We eradicated polio, right? We don't have to worry about um, uh, so Yellow many- Yellow fever, things. there's, yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot of stuff. So, and so there's this idea that like that the vaccine argument is is like you're either pro vaccine or anti vaccine or it's becomes this polarized politicized thing and and the joke is on anybody that falls for that because it it doesn't matter if you are pro vaccine or anti vaccine your body's going to do what it's going to do it's going to respond how it responds and um it's it depends on the individual so um I don't know if that no, that's, so that's I wonder a- if like, oh, I wonder if like being able, you know, before you start a vaccine regimen, because I, I am very pro certain vaccines, at least so far as my monkey brain can tell, and I have more than most Americans. I have, I have the highly controversial anthrax vaccine, a couple, couple rounds of it. Um, 
being in the military, uh, we got, we got juiced up to the gills before we went overseas. And I dropped like, we'd drop our food on the dirty Iraqi floor and then eat it and be like, man, I'm not getting sick. I don't know yeah. what they put in us. It was it's working for you. I got sick from getting stung by one of those little clear scorpions. That sucked. But uh, backtracking, <laughs> I wonder if uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, I <laughs> yeah, sorry, if, <laughs> it's all good. I wonder if like you know, there's a way to get the genetics, you know, chart of your of your you know your baby before it's born. That way, you know, like hey, or maybe this will be a feature someday. Uh, let's do that one. That one. Let's wait till they're older for that one yes. because. I'm going to touch on two topics real quick here and then give it to you guys. You can also change your genetics. You can change your genetic makeup. You can change the genetics you pass to your children. You're, I mean, yes and no. I don't mean like, I'm not going to be a, like a fish tomorrow. Yeah. Like CRISPR technology. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it because, you know, but yeah. Right. Well, what I'm talking about is like, there were, there was these men that were studied that were obese and their sperm was studied and their, their children were more likely to, to, to be prone to obesity. But right. then they went on like a, a weight train regimen and a healthy diet. Who says what healthy is to whoever. But the point is, is they lost a lot of weight and were physically fit and just studs. And then they checked their little swimmers and they're like, oh, these swimmers, those kids are more likely to not be obese and, and not retain fat as well. And so there, I think there's multiple things involved in that where we can help change our, whatever's within the limited scope that we're given. Right. But do you understand I, what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't, I don't know whole lot about epigenetics um and how our genes yeah, what we should what we do need to understand is that our genes aren't necessarily just like on or off all the time right they they will fluctuate um i'm not i'm not an expert on this i just know that it's not uh, like uh, not cut and dry um they're gonna uh they will turn on and off um, at different times and turn on and off in their functionality right certain enzymes and proteins are gonna um fluctuate it's it's not like a very cut and dry process the body is just too complicated um it, but there are uh i think you were you were mentioning something about this um it, there's a there's a way to prepare your body for these um for these for these vaccines and so for some who are maybe skeptical or hesitant or are like me where i'm like it's not like i'm you know i'm gonna vaccinate my kid some of them She's going to wait. Some of them just aren't going to happen um, because it's just unnecessary. Am I an asshole for taking advantage of herd immunity? Sure. But I will do anything for my kid, right? This is what I, this is. Oh, you're, you're, you're a parent doing what you need to do. You're not an yeah, asshole. And like, every I, I, get, I get why you're saying that, but let's just be clear. No, you're not. You're making discerning decisions well, for you know, someone who you're responsible for. Is, well, what I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I, I don't owe anybody anything except my kid. Except right? your child. If you're not my kid, I don't owe you anything. And so when parents make these decisions, which are really hard decisions to make, mm -hmm. right? Because you're 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 weighing different risks and benefits here. And and that's that's a personal decision. And um and if it's not yours, if it's not your kid, then stay the fuck out of it. Really, it's it's nobody else's business. Um some will argue, well, you know, it's for the best of um um, the greater good you should get this vaccine to protect this no no i you know and i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now or we could but so per, uh, you know, protecting the individual and making the strongest individual is the best way to protect the whole well and this is, this is our, so that this, means not getting something there you go right right and in knowing and so there are certain vaccines um that i i choose to stay away from um and if she's when she's an adult decides that she wants those great 
um, all, all the, you know, go, go get him sister. But while, while she's young and developing, it's just not going to happen. And unfortunately I can't have that conversation with too many people because you sound like a quack, but, but for the ones that, you know, that you do get, or that you do decide to get, you need to prepare in advance. And so these anti huge bazooka anti-inflammatory CBD is one of them. Um, okay. Uh, huge, huge. You can't take it more than, than once a day because you'll just oversaturate the, the endocannabinoid receptor and it becomes ineffective. You just need to take a day or two break to let it sort of reset. Um, but no, you can, no, you're talking about this for people of all ages getting right. in preparation. Yeah. Um, for kids, especially, you can take up the dose a notch. You can give it to them maybe like twice a day, a day or two before they, they get the vaccine. Just know that you're going to quickly oversaturate the receptor and it'll become ineffective. So, but in preparation for vaccines, um, if, if you know your kid's genetics or if you don't and you just want to be safe, um, there are ways to, to do that. And so the two big ones we would use were CBD and low-dose naltrexone, which is um, a lot to be said about that. Um, you block the opiate receptor just a little bit. It's a prescription, um, but it's becoming very well known now, and especially in functional medicine. If you block the opiate receptor just a little bit, it actually uh, blunts um, inflammation. If you do too much, then you you know you're gonna have a hard time. That you know they would give you 50 to 200 milligrams if you overdosed on something. Right in the hospital, they would just give you like 200 milligrams or Narcan or whatever. This, this is like, I'm familiar. I went to EMT school at UCLA. So I'm yeah, okay, you're an EMT, okay. yeah, yeah. but this, this is like three milligrams, right? Um, just a little tiny block, the, the opiate receptor just a little bit and it, and it should. And, um, and to be clear, you're not recommending people do this. You're recommend that people look into this, that yes. this is just the current well, information that. Yeah. There. You're not going to get it. I mean, most doctors aren't going to prescribe this to you. You're going to have to go to a functional medicine clinic and it's a prescription. Um, but this is a big one that if, if inflammation is something that you are, you know, interested in, I mean, I'd say that you're struggling. With this it, is fascinating. It is like prepping, prepping. No, no. I mean like this was like the first real big, like, Oh, this is really cool in this conversation. And not, that's not, I'm, like obsessive about information. So I don't mean yeah. that as a, as a negative, but yeah. like, this was the first thing that was like, oh man, like you could prepare to yes. get, cause none of us are anti-vaccine at all. We're right. just discerning people like, Hey, maybe this isn't necessary, yeah. but now we know if there's a possibility to prepare your body to have the best possible reaction for this possible life-saving population saving you know, medical procedure. And there are, and there are some people that, um, despite their best preparations, this is the part that's hard to hear, that is a difficult pill, no, no pun intended, difficult pill for some people to swallow, is that some people um, simply can't prepare, right? And they just forgo, forgo some of these vaccines and um, other people aren't gonna understand. Um, you know, there are some people that choose not to vaccinate their kid at all. And um, although that's not something that I would do, right? There's like, I'm, I don't fuck with tetanus, like, <laughs> I don't fuck yeah. with it's it's uh, it's, it's you know, I want like a regular schedule for that because I'm an idiot and I work with my hands a lot. Exactly, <laughs> but this is that's the important thing is that you know your environment, you know your your life and your how what you're working with, right? The it's in the dirt, you know, you know um, your situation, your life circumstances, and um, for some, it's like they would, you know, they would rather kind of keep them. Uh, in a bubble at home, then vaccinate. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. And um, it's hard for a lot of people to understand. But so, 
I've got a question here. It's just kind of popped into my head. Um, every now and then we hear about like people dying after vaccines. Is that something like, could you have an inflammatory response that's so crazy that it's fatal or is that not possible? I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, it sounds a little extreme, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's impossible. Um, you know, it's hard to tell because you hear about these things again, information overload. Um, I would not be surprised if that's happened, but I don't know. I don't know how that would happen. Um, I can imagine. Well, for, for the record, we're also not talking about the current COVID shots, which I refuse to call vaccines because vaccines are supposed to provide immunity. These don't right. provide immunity. That's not even like a weird lizard people under the like ladder or whatever thing. That's just like literally like they don't provide immunity. They were supposed to lessen symptoms of earlier variants. They're not vaccines. They're medical prophylactic treatments. So Barb, is that a true statement or is that uh, not correct? What that that COVID vaccine? What I just said. Yeah. Um, but they're not really vaccines. They're prophylactic treatments. Well, right. So that's based on my understanding that that's a mostly true statement. I I'm hard pressed to say that you would have a better time with COVID um, having had the vaccine than not having had it because again, it's all based on the individual. It always comes down to the individual, but we just don't know shit about this vaccine. And it's just, it's becoming more and more apparent that like it really, did it really help? I, you know, I, there's so many conflicting studies about this. I, mean, I actually don't know if I feel very comfortable commenting too much on this um, flirt, flirt chief. Okay. I, think, I think you've done a lot more research on this than I have. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying, oh, that's true or false. I just know that from anecdotal experience, from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, like, um, it, it really did not, it certainly didn't prevent you from getting COVID, right? People got the vaccine, they still got COVID. So like that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, the extent to which it helped you get through it. Ah, man, I don't, I don't it's fucking based know. On faith. It's just based on trusting the people that have been fined billions of dollars yeah. for blat you know, blatantly lying. Right. Exactly. So, I, I'm not saying don't get it either. I'm not saying that, but exactly. I'm also dealing with a very close family member that's dealing with serious neurological and heart issues now yep. you know after i i suggest i created you know the perfectly safe environment and went and got it anyways and yeah. you know is it because of this i don't know but these issues didn't weren't there before so you know. you know one thing that's interesting that's kind of brought up in this conversation is earlier you'd mentioned that there was um rubella i think or whatever it is that hangs out in the nervous system and so the yeah. inflation happened in the nervous system and now it makes you wonder if covid for instance the spike protein does it hang out in the heart? And is that why the inflation is, uh, you know, myocardial inflammation? Sorry, I'm fucking economist brain right now. Is that why the uh, inflammation of myocarditis, it's like the heart inflation. tissue, right? Or the muscle around the heart is what uh, ends up becoming inflamed, right? So is this yeah. kind of how this works? Like wherever the um, foreign object is hanging out, is that where the inflammatory response occurs? Right. Um, I mean, it, that sounds like a very plausible argument. Um, again, I, I don't know. I really don't, I, I know very little about cardiology and um, the heart is fascinating, but um, uh, yeah, as far as the COVID vaccine goes in the spike, I really don't know. I don't know if I can answer that, but it sounds like a very plausible argument based off of, you know, what we're learning about. Um, the thing is viruses are, viruses are, when we talk about rubella hanging out in the nervous system, viruses are, they're not living, right? They're technically not alive. Like, these little robots. Right, but you uh, and you can't kill something that 
not alive. So there's that issue. Um, I so where viruses hang out and, and you know the little mind of their own that they have and, and what they decide to do, I think is probably unique to the virus. But I'm sure we'll discover eventually, um, you know, down down the road very quickly how uh, COVID is impacting our long-term health and these viruses you can't really ever get rid of them right you you just they they continue to replicate uh, for the rest of your lives and so um and then you know they'll they'll be activated and, and then they'll inactivate or they'll come out to play when inflammation is high and um uh, do their damage I'm, dr stewart used to say like viruses are the enemy like that's that's the ultimate um the enemy and it was a kind of eye-opening um statement so question so like i remember getting the flu when i was like eight or nine and i just you know drank a lot of fluids you know tang and watched all the rocky movies in succession and then i was good but like are you saying that that vaccine will then come out when i'm under multiple you know inflammatory conditions or is that i just i don't i don't think that's what you're saying i just wanted to clarify for people listening so like certain vaccine excuse me not vaccine certain viruses <laughs> certain viruses are going to come out to play under certain conditions so uh like okay. tinnitus um i think it's the chickenpox uh varicella that just likes to hang out on the cranial nerve and um a lot of tinnitus what we would do is we'd give patients um uh, we would give them Valtrex. And, and so varicella Tonight, Tinnitus isn't like ringing in your ears? Yeah, sorry, ringing in your ears. Um, oh, I have serious tinnitus. Yeah, so Valtrex is not necessarily, um, it, it's, it's not like it uh, kills any, any old virus, right? It's, it's specifically aimed at the, the herpes virus and the herpes family, which everyone has herpes. I should clarify for everybody now that you said that I have tinnitus from bombs and guns, not herpes. Right. But yeah. Hold no. on. Were, oh, Barb, were you saying that um, the chickenpox virus is associated with tinnitus? Yeah. Well, this one at one association with tinnitus is, um, is viral infection of the cranial nerve. So viruses really, you can't, the point is you can't, you can't kill something that's not alive. These viruses are going to re replicate and replicate always uh, forever. Um, and so uh, it's, it's really hard to like fully eradicate them from your body. So some of them that, uh, from my understanding, some of them will hang out in certain, uh, uh, certain places. A lot of them will uh, have a preference for one side of the body over the other, which is pretty interesting. So you mean left and right? Yeah, yeah, because when you're born, you know, I'm not gonna know if I'm gonna butcher this, but the way that, the way, that, the way that you're born, uh, <laughs> your two halves of your body essentially come together um, in the final stages of, you know, uh, development. And so it, it doesn't, it's not like it all comes together perfectly at once. Like things get a little, they're a little uh, unaligned. That's why none of us are perfectly symmetrical, unfortunately, um, unless you can get plenty of Botox and, and filler. Anyways, um, and so there's something to be said about how viruses will, some viruses will hang out on certain, certain have a preference for one side of the body uh, over the others. And so um, if you go in and get Botox, for example, you might notice. I'm sorry, I, I swim so much that I'm just visualizing me like trying to get the water out of my ears. And this stuff I see, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> you gotta hit harder on the left side, Paul. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more nuanced. 
than uh, than that. So oh, nah. <laughs> some some women will. Go Maybe I should just I'll just hit harder. That's all. <laughs> go for it, man. Let me know how <laughs> we know how that works out. That sounds. Do it with your Scottish accent. I would love yeah, to. There we go. Maybe it'll help the tinnitus. Yeah, yeah. Tinnitus is the interesting. Um, really, you have a you have a whole system of vestibular system of balanced um, systems going on. You've got what you hear, what you see, what you smell, balance, right? And so we, we do ear testing on our um, uh, spectrum patients because you'll notice too, spectrum kids the way they walk. They're it's like. They're walking kind of funny and really what they're doing is they're trying to balance themselves they're they know I, I, there's a family that i'm close with where their son uh, is autistic and is great great dude but you know there's is clearly different than someone that's not and great kid but um yeah there, there's there's some that's why this is fascinating so well, imagine imagine all of your sensory input what you see smell <laughs> see smell, <laughs> what you see smell, taste, hear, whatever, all of these things happening and your balance, right? This whole system that happens, um, what they should normally, if in most healthy individuals uh, in general, they, they are in a harmonious sort of rhythm with each other. They work harmoniously so that you can just walk, talk and drive and talk on the cell phone and be an idiot all day. But in a, in a spectrum kid, um, some of these are louder than others. They're really off balance. And so imagine kind of, being yelled at by the world every day and there's nothing to mm -hmm. do about it. you know some of them will have their headphones on just to kind of quiet some yep, noise that's what my friend does sometimes they're, yeah they're trying to catch their balance as they're walking and so tinnitus is kind of a an example of how some of these systems can get really out of balance with each other and so <clears throat> viruses like we were just talking about viruses inflammation all of these things really all come together to play into how your uh all of these different systems work harmoniously together and if one thing is off tinnitus you might also notice uh do you have vertigo right do you have uh, nausea vertigo some people come in with meniere's disease we give them valtrex and they're like oh wow i'm better <laughs> or my tinnitus went away or uh or uh, you know it's really interesting how how complex it gets but um has, has someone ever come in with um environment like uh like stimulus induced I don't know if that's right I got a buddy my buddy Phil I teach with him um he's a brother he was a TACP in the Air Force so his job was to go out this is actually a really difficult job he'd go out with infantry and in during running missions and when they got shot at he could shoot back but that's not what he was supposed to do he was supposed to get on the radio and call in aircraft so like he has severe severe tinnitus where he has to like listen to white noise at night it gives him severe headaches but like you know, bombs are dropping like within like, yeah. you know, yards of him sometimes like or hundred, tens of hundreds of yards. But like, you know, he, he has tonight is so bad, but it's all from uh -huh. munitions. It's all from bombs yeah. and gunfire. Well, the the receptors in our in our ear, um, this mechanical receptors, they're like, I, I think they're like the only if I remember correctly, the only receptor that's runs mechanically, they've got these little hair cells, mm -hmm. just sort of uh can't remember they're called um that's why you're not supposed to you know even though it feels good don't shove that q-tip all the way well, in there yeah and, and, and loud music you, you you eventually wear it down and, and you can damage it whereas um so it's it's very made just that much harder to repair because the way it functions uh, more mechanically as opposed to like uh trying to think back to neurobiology here what the other receptors were but the mechanical receptor is just easily uh, easily destroyed. And so when that happens, I can only imagine the cascade of events that leads to 
lifetime mm-hmm. of ringing in your ears. It sounds very miserable. So, so that sounds like something like this, um, the, the Valtrex you were talking about, or would not affect that since it's mechanical damage. Prob- yeah, probably, probably not. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to make that okay. blank statement, but yeah. Um, Sorry, I'll just hold you to it, and then you know, you'll you'll be. No, it, it, all, it all comes down to the source. You know, you have to get a good picture of the patient's uh, history and um, their triggers. And in this case, that trigger was um, mechanical. Not due damage. to inflammation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But but then well, cool. you know, there's well, probably you. plenty. Of, there's probably still plenty of inflammation that came from that experience. You've got PTSD, inflammation of the brain. Like um, that doesn't mean that there's not hella inflammation going on in that in that guy's body and i would still highly recommend cbd so <laughs> just throwing that out okay there. yeah yeah we we've been i say we but like he's been experimenting with it and that seems to help a little bit but anyways i don't want to take to take us off task it's just so much far. to talk about though and it's so hard i want to i want to talk about it all but um so i, I mean what things got... are Sorry, <laughs> I was gonna say we've got about like 20 minutes left. So I mean, we could go back to some of the terms from the genetic panel that I think we haven't touched on at all. But is there like, what was the most important subject that you want to talk about to really uh, hit the listeners? That's tough. It's all it's all super important. I think one of the big, another really big one that we really should touch on is autophagy, and I touched a little bit on it, but um, okay. Autophagy. Let's just let's just dive right into it. So autophagy. Autophagy. Uh, the, the analogy that Dr. Stewart would use was: imagine yourself being a city, right? And in the city, you produce trash because that's what we do. We produce a just a ton of trash, and um, uh, you you need to get rid of that trash so that you can just put new stuff into the city where it's trying to go. Um, but if there's you know too much trash in your house, right? It's hard to bring in like new furniture, right? You can't really, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot can go on when you're obviously cluttered with junk. So your body has this system where it would, in a healthy system would take the junk, put it in an autophagosome, autophagosome, right? This is where the term autophagy kind of starts to come from and just dissolve it and get rid of it so that it can run efficiently, get rid of all the junk and then push the new stuff in insulin, right? All the nutrients that your body needs. And so this mTOR system um, called the mTOR, it's mammalian targeted uh, uh, something or other by rapamycin. I can't remember the whole, the whole name, but basically uh, these Japanese scientists discovered when they discovered rapamycin, they thought it was an antifungal, uh, but what they discovered was that it, it suppressed the immune system um, and actually uh, initiated this process called autophagy so that um, in summary, what we understand now is things like uh, insulin resistance and PCOS. These these diseases are essentially, for the most part, just autophagy or insulin resistance. So there's predicted to be like a new term for uh, diabetes called insulin resistance of the cell. And that's really just when you have a really messed up autophagy system and your body cannot uh, get rid of the junk and move new stuff into the cell where it's supposed to go. And so when you can't get insulin inside the cell, it just floats around in your system, right? And then you have insulin resistance, um, uh, hormones, uh, nutrients, everything that your body needs to get uh, glucose where it's supposed to go to function, uh, um, 
to just function in general just stops working. And so you'll notice back on back on the topic of of autism, you'll you'll notice that a lot of spectrum kids also have uh, hearing aids or that they have um, you know glasses, vision problems. Um, and so actually, what's what's really fascinating about autophagy is they discovered Dr. Stewart likes to use supplement called D-chiro-inositol and it's just B8, vitamin B8. It comes from buckwheat and it actually forces autophagy and it forces, um, so if you have these autophagy uh, mutations in your body cannot push glucose into the cell where it needs to go, this will force it to happen and essentially force your body to clean out, which is really anti-aging. This is your body's ability to slow the cell down. So the mTOR, um, it's like a, it's like if you're if you're really busy and you have so much to do and you're cooking and you're cleaning and you've got like family and crazy in-laws coming to visit or whatever. How clean is your house going to be? Well, your in-laws. <laughs> how how clean is your house when you're really busy? Right, it's a mess. And, and so this mTOR, when you slow it down you can actually slow down the mTOR. It allows your body to, to do what it needs to do, clean house. And that's why uh, rapamycin was the big discovery in autophagy. We found that it kind of slowed the mTOR and allowed your body. When you slow the cell, you slow aging, right? That's, that's the whole point here. So autophagy, pardon my French, it's fucking huge. I mean, it's, it's everything. And there's so many people not talking about it. Um, if you ask, there's a couple brands of D Cairo inositol. And if you look at the reviews, you'll find that the first people to discover it were women with PCOS because it pretty much cured their PCOS. Um, no, what's no, what's PCOS? The PC, polycystic uh, ovarian syndrome. Um, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And there's, and there's a whole uh, biochemical, um, you know, the, the way that, uh, that insulin, um, how insulin plays into estrogen and your body's ability to, um, to make your ovaries work. I, I, I cannot um, ex explain that process very that, often. That's okay. But, but in big picture terms here, this, this is, uh, um, it, it can essentially reverse type 2 diabetes. So it's, it's very huge and um, it's a big one because uh, inflammation and autophagy, and the way that all of these processes really work together is... Um, Ah, beautiful <laughs> when it's all happening. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. So th I'm guessing there's a lot of uh, things that people assume are conditions that are just yeah. kind of life conditions. And really, if you were able to cure your cells ability to do this, auto <laughs> this autophagy process, then yeah. these uh, conditions can disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, PCOS is an interesting one because that one's just kind of like, it's an imbalance of hormones in the kind of like, uterus area right and so certain processes don't happen when they're supposed to happen because like the wrong hormones are there so maybe it's just like whatever cell it is that creates the hormone gets slowed down so it's actually right. like putting it out there and I, I wonder what else could be healed by just this and you well, said in, there's in mm -hmm. PCOS too they'll, they'll have an excess of usually have an excess of testosterone and, and so yeah you start seeing these hormone imbalances because nothing is really getting into the cells where they need to go um Fasting, fasting. We, we used to call D Cairo and Ocetol. We used to call it fasting in a pill because this is essentially what intermittent fasting does. If you fast long enough, you, your body reaches a, 
a point where it can start um autophagy can just happen it just it starts to both, both flirt and i practice intermittent fasting yeah me too me too it's good stuff my autophagy genes fun fun story um i they're perfect across the board <laughs> so lucky you i which is really unheard of i just like to brag about it but um so but uh, hard work <laughs> so i have a question if you have perfect autophagy what does that mean for your life uh so uh, it does well, mean first off it's going straight up this is one of the first things she's putting on her hinge profile <laughs> i would <laughs> oh my god you you don't don't uh don't be fooled i've got i've got my own chronic uh conditions that that's all right shine the light on the good yeah it doesn't it doesn't mean you're doesn't mean you're i think it, i think this is what protected me from some of the the neurotrophic factors that are heavily mutated um i remember the pa that used to work at this clinic looking me in the eyes and saying this saved you like this totally saved you um there's one autophagy gene that uh, when half broken, it's supposed to be half broken. Um, and that makes it protective against, it's actually supposed to be protective uh, against autism. So, um, and that one, I, I also, it's like, I have perfect across the board, except the one that's supposed to be broken. That's no big deal. Um, yeah, <laughs> the whole point is the, yeah, the whole point is that it's, it's just anti-aging metformin. They found metformin does this. Um, and that's what separates metformin from so many other di uh, diabetes drugs is that it works on autophagy, right? It doesn't, it's not like you directly increase or decrease insulin and you take too much and you're screwed, right? Some of these insulin drugs can be harmful if used the wrong, uh, <laughs> incorrectly, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen The Good Nurse on Netflix. Just another beautiful example of a of a broken healthcare system that the most okay. um, hella like serial killer to walk the earth was a nurse who just went around. Oh, I've heard of this based on real events. Um, but so my point is that uh, metformin, decairo, fasting, these are all great ways to um, boost autophagy. And it's just something that people need to know about because it made we used it, we used it on a, a spectrum kid, nonverbal autistics talk. They just started talking, right? You get the blood and the glucose where it's supposed to go. Their vision gets better. Their hearing gets better. They start talking. Their brain works better. So, their focus. I found this with like, you know, I don't know if I'm on the, on the spectrum. Some people would say, and, but like so severe, severe, severe adult attention deficit disorder to the level like every therapist I've ever talked to or psychologist, clinical psychiatrist, Every single one has told me like most people that have it at my level are in prison, you know, impulse control, all these multiple things. I've, you know, found a way to kind of deal with it or whatever, sometimes turn this curse into a superpower. But I've noticed when I eat fat as opposed to carbohydrates, I feel like my brain has less inflammation and not just am I better focused, but literally like almost my vision seems slightly better focused. I, I have one other thing I want to ask about. Um, the, if you can talk about that, well, I'll just ask now. So I, I read this, a couple research papers on, and not a lot of people want to talk about this because like you, but on, since we're talking about waste, uh, fecal transplants. And I read this very interesting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew Fort would love this. This is actually kind of something we talk about a lot more than anything. We talk, we talk about, about poop a lot. <laughs> talk about shit. Yeah, we do. So, um, but like, I, I read this really interesting study and uh, it was, you know, peer reviewed on how they took autism patients and did fecal transplants 
And they actually, a lot of their symptoms went away after a certain amount of time. And it, and it took a little bit of time, but there is something to like helping other diseases or other chronic illnesses with fecal. I mean, so much so that the South Park did an episode on it. And like, if you watch that episode, there's like, they clearly believe that there's something there from the way the episode was, was done. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying, well, Trey and Matt, Trey Parker and Matt Stone think it's true. So it must be, but I'm, yeah. I'm just saying like, there, have you heard of anything about that? Would that affect fecal, fecal transplant? Your studies? Cause I know that you can, you can essentially replace someone's gut biome or you can help exactly. uh, get a new gut environment. As far as gut, uh, gut issues go, I, I really, I, I tend to think more in terms of inflammation. I have a lot more to say about ADHD and um, yeah, okay, yeah, good. GAD1, there's a gene, you got to look at, it's called GAD1. And this is like, uh, it's, well, it's, I do have the gift for GAD, so. GAD, G-A-D-1. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's a GAD joke. <laughs> GAD joke. I'm sorry. Uh, go on, the GAD1 gene. What's really, in the back? <laughs> honestly, fantastic. Fantastic joke. Um, slow clap here. Um, but it's, it's such a it's such a white person gene, really. If this GAD one gene is so <laughs> just so chronically broken in so blessed. many white people, and it's a glutamate thing. It's it's your uh, your body's uh, ability to um, like balance out glutamate and GABA. So for for this kind of thing, we would always recommend uh, glutamate blockers. Uh, alcohol is does this but obviously has is not no <laughs> would not recommend so it was always like star anise um star anise that uh, uh star anise tea can help uh lower glutamate i'm writing this, I'm writing this shit now okay um, so like if i like if i partake in like the right amount of cannabis allegedly or mm -hmm. the right amount of alcohol all of a sudden like i'm firing on all cylinders i have profound yeah. thoughts and not just like some people get high or drunk and man this was so yeah. profound and they show it to their buddy they're like no this doesn't make any we sense about, but that's not the case with me yeah we were talking and, about but I'm, I'm careful because mm -hmm. i'm sorry i i don't want to i don't want to get addicted to anything like i didn't take yeah. any of the opiates i was prescribed when i had serious surgeries like i'm very careful and i'm i'm a german-american from Wisconsin, that was in the infantry. So you see, I'm drinking a light beer right now, but I'm I'm very very careful yeah. with alcohol, yeah, and cigarettes. Cigarettes helps people that are like uh, the nicotine helps clear your thought for about eight eight minutes, and that's about it. Or is it seven minutes? You know, that's why schizophrenics and writers chain smoke. You know, yeah. But you were so, saying so this yeah, star no, something it's, tea. It's classic. What you're describing is classic. A star anise. Uh, it's uh, it's like a common spice. Oh, anise is like that licorice. It, yeah, licorice, great one. Do you like licorice? What do you think about licorice? I like uh, I like uh, Twizzlers. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So real licorice. A lot of people will come in and be like, "Oh yeah, we." This is why I love licorice. It's, so these, there's so many things that you can use. Um, uh, it, it's great because when you're talking about sort of the addiction side to this. We call that that one is kind of this glass half full, um, half empty. Um, gene and you're never quite satisfied and it keeps you really uh keeps you wired keeps you all over the place um we could we can have a discussion another time about add versus adhd it sounds like you really identify more with with hyperactive um yeah, probably. You, would love, you would love chai tea like if you can switch over from coffee to chai tea, well, i was i was in iraq so we drank we drank chai tea with like the, the chieftains and the locals but that was like it was like syrup because it just put so oh, much yeah. so much sugar yeah. in it but yeah chai tea uh we used a, a drug um called amantadine um 
we used an off-label um, they so not really easy to get your hands on um, naturally. I used to take modafinil because uh, I'm not a fan of the stimulants. I was on. I'm pretty sure it stunted my growth. I'm like six one ish, about two twenty to thirty. It is such a better alternative though than amphetamines. Yeah, well, from second yeah. grade to my senior year in high school, I took uh, amphetamines prescribed, and like I know it's not my my cousin's a giant, and I was growing faster than him. So I would, man, I don't even know. I'm a large person as it is. So, but uh, okay, so amantadine. Kava, uh, kava, kava. Um, there's a supplement that um, from Dr. Stewart's uh, genetics, um, excuse me, supplement company made called Progad. And um, Progad, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it has kava, kava. For in flirt it. too, not not <laughs> just me. <laughs> huh? For flirt too, not just me. Oh yeah, I mean it. Yeah, no, I'm, all all of us. I mean, this is pretty much. I mean, there's so many people that. Um, that can benefit from this. Um, but yeah, that's a great, it's a great supplement for uh, that GAD1 gene. And, and if you, if you don't have the GAD1 gene mutation and you're just like, well, I'm constantly, you know. Hey, what it. is it? Go look. One second, sorry. One thing that's been interesting here is that, you know, the, the prevailing theme has always been that individualized medicine is far superior than just kind of like, your country is on a new medicine today. <laughs> Join in. Thanks for um, keeping us on track. I really appreciate your ability to keep us. Definitely. And it, it, it shines through in certain examples too. Like, uh, you know, when you talked about the, the hepatitis thing, it's just like, okay, so I'm guessing if the mother was a drug addict or had some experience, exposure to certain things, that the baby could get hepatitis in the first couple of days after delivery. And because doctors aren't able to ask and say like, oh, what's your individual risk profile? They end up just giving it to everyone. And they're looking at one form of risk, which is, you know, hepatitis. And they're ignoring all the other forms of risk that come from the, the vaccine. It's kind of like more unseen and can't be blamed on the hospital. What are some questions that someone should be asking their doctor to find out if, you know, their primary care physician is on this track of like, okay, let's figure out what's good for your individual self or not. Like, how do you identify it? I don't think it's going to take very long um, to identify a, a physician that's willing to go down that rabbit hole with you. And some will do it more than others, but I think the, some of the best questions to ask, um, oh God, I just ask all of the questions. Don't hold back. You know, don't be afraid to um, like interrogate them with questions about how this would uh, affect you as an individual. And, and don't be afraid to, um, just don't be afraid to ask questions because uh, I think I think we we have this idea. Doctors, I have mad respect for them, right? Obviously, they are brilliant, educated individuals, right? And, and that um, I do uh, I do have so much respect for that, and I think we should. But um, we shouldn't necessarily think, okay, this is like the ultimate god of medicine. Who, if I ask, I'm too afraid to ask this question, or or Maybe I'm speaking also from a woman's perspective. It's it's easy to hold back. It's easy to not want to rock the boat, but you should rock the boat. You know, you should get there and say, look, I get what you're saying. Um, this doesn't sit right with me. Just speak up. This doesn't sit right with me. I, I already told you that that um, I'm good. I, I don't have good experience with this drug or I, I'm having this symptom. Uh, ask them what they know about nutrigenomics. What do you know about genetics? And if you can't help me, can you recommend somebody that can answer these questions. Um, I would just say, don't hold back. Um, don't be an asshole, but um, 
they're educated in what they're educated in. They've been trained a certain way. And if you ask questions outside of that training that they can't answer, um, just recognize that they're sort of sidestepping and ask the, and be willing to bring it up again and say, who, who do you know, can you recommend to anybody? Or a lot of times I just take what they say. Um, I don't take it as hard fact. Um, I'm not saying they don't know facts. I'm just saying that what they recommend, you may not have to, uh, you, you take their recommendations and you decide what to do with those things, right? They can't, they can't, um, they don't have control over your life and your decisions. They just give you the best recommendations based on what they understand and what they know and how they've been trained. And um, you take from that what you want and and you discard the rest and you find somebody and you dig, you dig, you keep fighting. If you have symptoms and conditions that nobody can answer, you keep fighting. But functional medicine is where it's at. That's in it my- It's like also like a big, a big part is just trusting your gut. Like your intuition yeah. really. And a lot of people maybe need to, I feel like there's a lot of people that don't understand intuition is a thing. And that maybe, <laughs> hey, maybe you should listen to it a little bit more. Like you got your, I always say you got your, your heart, your big head, your little head. And then I have my gut. My I gut's never wrong. It I never don't know. I don't Every, big head, little head, heart have always been, have, have been wrong at times. The gut's never been wrong. Intuition has been sort of beaten out of us by this, fast-paced society we live in you know we've, we kind of haven't that's not something we were taught as kids to grow up and listen to your gut especially women I have a lot to say about this as far as women go we, there's really something to be said about women's intuition and trusting your gut and um, but for everybody I think it's a very powerful tool I think quantum physicists are gonna are gonna expose uh, these things we cannot see that we cannot explain or tangibly uh, put our fingers on but intuition is one of those things we're going to understand more i think more so in the future and and how that um plays into our health and yeah intuition is is everything and it can be biased and skewed by your own traumas and hardships in life um that's something to keep in mind as well so yeah okay great great well i think we should probably wrap up in like five minutes here. So uh, Barb, I want to give you like one last opportunity if there's like a final statement that you think people should take besides this beautiful intuition speech. <laughs> I, I have a quick 30 second question though. Sure. We, we just have to know, our viewers and listeners have to know what was with the blue toilet water. If you yeah. can answer it a couple of seconds. Yeah, so yeah, that was the craziest thing. I, you know, the well, wasn't the toilet water, it was the toilet seat. Um, as I got larger and more in charge, I began to sweat more, right? So everyone says, oh, you're pregnant, you're glowing. It's not, you're not glowing. You're literally just sweating. Just being alive is making you sweat. It's making you struggle. Um, so this blanket that I would sleep on, um, granted, I wash my sheets quite regularly, um, but they just started to turn blue. <laughs> and I Googled it and was like, okay, what, what the fuck? Am I, you know, if I have to have a Smurf? Like what's going on? And people, uh, some women were complaining about it too. And they, you know, they could explain there's like a name for when you secrete a certain uh, pigment. I can't remember what it's called. But my OB, I was like, dude, like, what is this? And he's like, I honestly don't know. I'm going to ask somebody and I'll figure it out and I'll call you. And so he spoke with a neonatal surgeon and they called me and said, you are excreting uh, copper. It's copper. And, and he said, mm, yeah. Okay. He said it, and so he said, it's a good sign. It means you're going to age well. And I was like, okay. That was, that was it like that's was all like, you could say i was like dude like i need i i have this has been 
haunting me for so it's been almost two years now and I, it keeps me up. I just don't know. Um, so yeah, the copper, um, it's a thing in some pregnant women, he said, it's perfectly fine. You're not going to die. I was like, cool. Well, I'm, ex- you know, sweating blue. So <laughs> God knows, are we sure? Like, are we sure I'm going to be okay? Um, I think I just, I just needed to know that. It's so wild. You know, it's I, so wild. I the weirdest things happen you start getting these crazy symptoms and you you kind of lose a lot of control of your body right free will becomes very questionable at this point because so much is going on that you really don't have control over and this is where you start to ask questions and people don't have answers and that's really when I, I that's why i say in my in my blog posts like moms are the og gangsters because they are they're holding the fort they have all the questions they're not getting a lot of answers and so they have to make these decisions and do all the research and they control um, the marketplace you know yeah um, yeah moms are moms are moms are the real g's in the world and and so so to, to get back to what you're saying for cheap about the final statement um women are awesome we rule the world uh uh we're, mom, <laughs> we're, Plus, I ah, God, there's so much that I want to say in this in this final statement, and I'm not really sure where to begin. But um, I I just hope that people continue to ask questions, um, remain skeptical. Uh, some conspiracy theories very well end up turning out to be very real, and um, you know uh, I think it's really important to step outside of your judgment. Your any judgments or accusations or biases that you have when listening to somebody talk about the conditions they have that doctors are saying, sorry, it's all in your head. Um, you know, if you know a mom with autism who says, no, I'm serious. Like it didn't start until that third dose of MMR. Listen, give her a second, you know, don't judge her. It's her experience. You don't have to believe her, but this is, this is very real. There's, there's so much I want to say. Um, uh, ask ask questions, remain skeptical, and keep fighting for your health because truly there's only so much one doctor is going to do to continue to advocate for your health. They're still a human being too, and they do uh, the best they can to their human abilities. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to pack as many. I'm still looking. I'm looking at the clock like, how much more can I say? Oh, that's all right. How many, um, how many podcasts have you done before? Oh, this is my first how, one. How you there you go. You're you're killing it. Okay. No, okay. not at all. You're doing, okay. you're doing great. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, there's so much that uh, we wanted to talk about that I don't think we've no. had time for, which is always a really good sign. Um, so, Barb, where can the listeners <laughs> find you if they want to get some non-medical medical advice? Yeah. Again, reminder: I am not a doctor. <laughs> take what I, take what I say and discard what you want. But this is just yeah. Um, uh, so I, you know, I have an, I started an Instagram called motherhood Barbie and I have a Substack called motherhood Barbie. Um, you'll, you'll notice that it's, it's a picture of Barbie with just, just the worst hair bags under her eyes. She looks like she's ready to be induced in a three day coma. So that's, that's what to look for as far as, um, profile picture. Um, I try to write about this stuff in, um, as consistent as possible there will be more material and content coming as i gain a little bit more free time um in the near future so hope to be more and more consistent and available for readers so 
Well, wonderful. We enjoyed having you. I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot and probably have taken a million notes about a million things they need to look up and hopefully feel a little bit more empowered. Uh, as a reminder, we are Thunderpunk Radio. You can find us on Instagram, Thunderpunk Radio. Uh, we're on Anchor. Uh, my name is Fleur Cheap. You can find me on Instagram, Fleur Cheap. Substack is fleurcheap.substack.com. And Paul, you got any shout outs for us as well? I know we got the YouTube channel going as well, right? Yes. Yep. So the YouTube channel is finally up. It's going a little slower right off the bat than uh, planned, but we do have some content on there already. We're going to continue to put content on self-reliance, self-defense, and personal freedom. Um, this will be up there. We're also going to focus on Rumble. So we do have a Rumble account, and this will be the first podcast uploaded to that. And uh, yeah, I'm Mav11B on Instagram if you want to follow any of my adventures. And if you have any questions pertaining to self-defense or firearms, feel free to send me a DM. I don't have enough followers right now not to respond to someone within a day or so. So you mentioned your Substack. Uh, yeah, hers Where? is uh, motherhood. And Substack and mine's flirtcheap.substack.com. There so we go. I want to thank you all for listening and I hope you all have a wonderful night. We'll see you all later.